Father, we just come to you this morning. We just surrender ourselves. We pray your spirit would speak to us. Your spirit would touch us, give us understanding of what we hear. We cannot understand it with a human perspective. Help us to see as you see, Lord. That's our struggle. It's not that we do not see. We have to see as you see, for that's the only that will set us free. Everyone sees, but we need to see as you see, and walk as you walked, and live as you lived on earth. To that end, Lord, we come to you this morning and surrender ourselves to the ministry of your word. Speak, Father, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. So personally, I'm on a political high. <laughs> after three days, after four days of DNC doom and gloom, and three days of really uplifting, and the the icing on today's cake was pres- uh, my vice president Francis Pence's final words when he said, "We keep our eyes fixed on the author and the finisher of our faith." And where the spirit is, Lord, there is liberty, there is freedom, and freedom will always win at the end. To hear a political leader speak from the word, I mean, it. We have a, we have this phrase in English literature: "It warms the cockles of my heart." <laughs> Check your dictionary what it means. I, I, I didn't see the whole of it because I was working on the word, but I'll see. But the what Torah I heard today and yesterday and day for yesterday, for the first time, I mean, I've been watching these debates for a long time. I've never seen in a political platform simple people or leaders not ashamed to wear their faith on their sleeve for the first time. I've seen in a political platform, absolutely, overtly, this is who we are. Take us or what us out. It's your choice. The choice is absolutely clear. Because where we looked on Sunday morning, First Kings chapter 18 and verse 21, is precisely that. Precisely that. Like after these four days, U.S. of A is without excuse. Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? The Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, is, if Baal follow him. And the people answered him, no word. The choice is very, very clear. I mean, I've never, I mean, I'm somebody who started loving politics after I came into, came to India. My first act of being in politics was when Indira Gandhi was arrested by the Jananda Party government and I was one of the guys who pulled a tree across the road as an act of civil disobedience for arresting my then leader. Okay, so, and I was in school. I was in school or college, I'm not very sure. It was in 1980s, right? Yeah. So, I liked politics. Because literature, philosophy, politics all go together. 
okay and uh, and i've been watching all these people i mean your generation wouldn't even have listened to reagan or george bush senior or clinton or george bush the next one or obama and mitt romney i listened to all these guys i listened to all these guys now i understand more what they said like obama when he said yes i can he meant yes we can he actually meant yes we can make america communist okay so but what i'm saying if all the political speeches and platforms i have seen especially in western civilization which is basically was judeo christian in its values i've never seen people simple people today there was a nun also who came and spoke and she spoke well about the right of the unborn you know so but so for first clearly god it's made the lines very clear there's one platform which is anti everything like john macarthur actually said for the first time if you look at romans chapter 1 from where whom god has handed over he says for the first time a political party has taken that has their platform from verse 21 onwards or uh, yeah verse well, 21 onwards till the end of romans chapter 1 is the judgment of god upon people who choose certain ideologies and he said for the first time a political party has chosen that has a political as their platform with what they believe in if you look at everything that is said in romans 121 till the end they have actually subscribed to it and then i i remember what he said he said and then they added god on the last day and that's an abomination to add god to what he actually stands against to put his name over there you know so america is without excuse after these 3 days and the fourth day is coming in tomorrow the chinese dissident who escaped i think is blind yeah he is blind he spoke the ravages of communism what they do No, it is very powerful moving uplifting because it's actually showing you i mean to the common people because the news media hides everything and this time it's open because it's very difficult to cut off a convention because they stream the other one all four days they are duty bound to stream this also all four days so people are very very clear and that's what god is saying choose choose now we do not realize like you no know, these choices how, i mean we don't realize how he puts it across elijah puts it across if lord is god follow him if baal is follow him both are also put in across as two ideologies two opinions putting across god and baal the world and the kingdom of god has two different ideologies they end up in two different places one ideology ends up in heaven the other ideology ends up in hell the end is also different it's an ideology it's an opinion and the question asked is how long will you falter between two opinions no and hundreds of years earlier in deuteronomy 30 and verse 19 moses had put it across these two opinions is more powerful words i call heaven and earth as witness today against i have set before you life and death he put it across a matter of literally life and death okay these two opinions are life and death eternal life and eternal death so you cannot skirt these questions and issues which matter not only now which matter in eternity 
These are choices that we make which will not only matter where we end up now in life and where we end up in eternity. And Joshua rephrased it. It's the same question in Joshua 24, verse 14 and 15. This same question is rephrased in different ways. Now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. It ultimately ends up who I end up serving. The opinion I pick, the ideology I pick, will determine who I end up serving. Am I serving God or am I serving the devil? That's Baal. Am I serving the kingdom of God or am I serving the kingdoms of this world? Which ideology have I chosen? And we need to realize the fundamental reason, the primary reason God delivered Israel out of Egypt is so that they would serve him. That's the only place where you have liberty in serving God. Because if you are not serving God, you are serving the gods of this world. And there you are a slave forever. Or you are a son forever. You have two choices, slave or son. These are the two opinions. Are you a slave? Are you a son? And finally, when it comes to the new covenant, God looks at our age and our time and rephrases the question this way in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 15 and 16. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. He says, you know what? I know. (laughs) You are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were. And then because you are lukewarm, that is what? What is this people? Halting between two opinions. They're faltering between. The actual Hebrew they say it means dancing. Meaning this side and this side according to. According to their situation. They're dancing between two opinions. Sometimes they're pro-life. Sometimes they're pro-choice. Sometimes they're heterosexual. Sometimes they're bisexual. Depending upon which side the crowd is moving, they will vote according to that platform. They never take a real stand on any issues that really matter in eternity and to God. That's what God says. And because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, he says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. So he's actually putting a cross. If you look at Philadelphia and Revelation, he says, if you hold between two opinions, you are not choosing between rapture or tribulation. You can choose. You can choose. Literally life and death. You are making a choice. Okay? So, an opinion can make a life of difference. An opinion. We put it across an opinion. When you use words like opinion in modern culture, it's your opinion. Everybody has an opinion. Yeah? So says Elijah on Mount Carmel. To the people, yeah, everybody has an opinion. But there are only two opinions. Ultimately, every opinion can be narrowed down into two opinions. It's either God or Baal. Two opinions. Life or death. Hot or cold. Rapture or wrath. It's your choice. It's your choice. And we do not realize how choices make a difference. Choose. And God leaves it to us to choose. He says, I'll make it clear. I will speak to you. I'll speak through my servants. Through the ages, I have made these choices. But each one has to individually choose. Okay? So we have there, if you see, 
on that Mount Carmel in your mind's eye, you have three groups of people there. One is the people. Then there is 7,000 who are hidden. Okay, They also may have come. Nobody knows. They are there. They are also in that group. They also didn't move. If they are there, they did not move towards Elijah. If the hundred prophets of God whom Obadiah has hidden, are they still in the cave or have they come out? We don't know. If they have come out and they are in the group, they also didn't move. It's not that they don't know what the truth is, but they loved their lives a little more than the truth. So we don't know if they are there or not. The order was for everybody to come. So if they have come, you have the whole set of people who haven't made up their mind about anything. And set of people who have made up their mind, but like the what they say in the US, the silent majority, the silent Trump voters are there. Because if you say you are a Trump voter in a blue state, they will heckle you, they will do all kinds of crap. So they keep quiet. They never make their opinion known. But when they make their opinion known, it's in the ballot box. So this 7,000 is the silent. Okay? They will not make their opinion known. But they are very clear. We are for God. I mean, you will see these things. History just repeats itself. Okay? And then there is one man. And that is Elijah. One man, from the beginning, before the this thing began, the famine began, and when the famine finishes, you will cease of one opinion, and he stands out for that. And it's very clear, and every man's hand, the king and his soldier's hand is against him. Okay? So the question is, why do people halt? Why do people falter? What is the reason? Are you unable? Or are you unwilling? It can't be you are unable because God has given you the freedom of choice. Why have we saw on last Sunday, come to me, come to me, come to me. All these calls of God in John chapter 5 and verse 40, this is what Jesus says. But you are not willing to come to me. It's not that you are not able. You're not willing. You're not unable. You're unwilling. You're not unwilling to come to me that you may have life. And he says, you are not seeing life. You are so caught in this temporary that you are not seeing that real life is eternal. No. That's what he is saying. It's not that you are unable. You are unwilling. Three and a half years of drought and famine and yet halting between two opinions. Let's see this spectacle. Then make up our mind. Still waiting. For five months of lockdown. And still waiting. So many Christians. Why do, we are not talking about, this has got nothing to do with the world. That's why we never use India as an example in our preaching. We always use US. We don't talk about England. We don't talk about Germany. Because these nations have all become spiritually bankrupt. There's no fight for faith over there. They have all been silenced completely. The only nation where there's a battle for the soul of the nation. Other souls have been sold. Still a battle going on is US. There's a battle going on. Therefore, we can only use US as an illustration. We cannot even use Israel. Because Israel's, uh, um, the, the, the eyes have been blinded until the second coming of Jesus Christ. When they align with US, the reason they align with US and the reason US aligns with Israel are two different reasons. Absolutely two different reasons. People don't realize it. Israel needs US. U.S. doesn't need Israel. But the founders onwards, when U.S. came to 
Israel came into being onwards because the core leadership was for a long season Christian. They know this is Abraham's seed, the chosen seed. And those who bless Abraham will be blessed. So because of that spiritual reason, they stand with Israel. Okay, so Israel standing with U.S. and U.S. standing with Israel are two different things. And that is why before Trump came in, the previous eight years administration was the most hostile administration towards Israel because they didn't believe in it. They couldn't break it publicly, but they were very hostile to Israel. And they created the entire mess in the Arab world through the Arab Spring. It was done by the Obama administration because they were anti-Israel and pro jihadi forces. And then it took Trump to come in and shut it down again. You have to see politics is not devoid of spirituality. The same battle is still going on age to age to age to age to age. Okay, season, different seasons you see the battle. But the question we ask to Christians, believing Christians too, like those who go to church, those who pray at least once in a while, read their Bible, listen to a message. The question is, why do Christians still stand in the middle? Why do they halt between two opinions? Why do do not take a stand about most issues which are very clear? Like in our church, most people are very sure because we have taught you over and over and over. I think it's because of repetition, like multiplication tables, you have uh, taken it. But that's still not life. Life is when you will have to make these choices. Okay, let me give you, let me put it to you in perspective. In First Corinthians thirteen thirteen, Paul puts across through the Spirit of God the three most important things for a believer: now abide faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. So we know everything God does. He does because he's a loving God. So even his judgment is loving. Even his wrath is loving. Okay, people find it very, very difficult uh, to understand it. But it's very true. It's very true. I mean, if you were to look at it, you have a little child. Let us imagine you have a little child. Or Pastor Vijay is Abigail or Emmy. Okay, your little child is not well. He's got a sickness. What do you give? Medicines. What is the medicines doing? Killing the viruses. Viruses is also a living being. Why do you kill that to save your child? You are pouring out your wrath on something because you love your child. Okay? And this is something which we constantly do. We don't mollycoddle a cockroach in our house. Cockroach in our house. Like sometimes my my wife is like paranoid about insects and this thing and because she's from US and she's never lived in it. So there are these little little things that fly and she's immediate. I said, honey, you know what that thing is? I told her last night also that I think, leave it alone. You know what? Those are the little insects you sometimes see when it comes out of your rice or something. I said, they have only a 24 hour lifespan. You see tonight, it has an insect. Tomorrow morning, it's flying and then it is gone and they are harmless. Don't kill it. Let it live that 24 hours God has given it. You don't have to kill it. It doesn't bite you. It doesn't do anything to you. Let it go. Let it go. No, we don't have to pour our wrath on something which will never harm us in any way. No. 
harm us in any way. We don't have to pour our wrath on. But certain things which harm us, our children, our health, like the whole billions and billions is being poured out to find a vaccine to COVID-19. Why? And when the vaccine is found, what are you doing? Pouring the wrath on this virus, unseen enemy. So even when God does anything, it's always love. It's always love. So love is the greatest. Okay. You see, we are very, very, now let's come to those three things are there, faith, hope, and love. And we are very aware in the church setting of faith and love. And we preach about faith, 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 walk in faith, make choices by faith, faith, and we rebuke when you are unloving. But very rarely do you hear about hope. And even when we hear about hope, very rarely do we actually understand what hope is. Faith is usually almost connected with now. By faith, I enter into that grace in which I stand. Okay, so people will ask, Jesus, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? Let it be according to your faith. Woman, it is your faith. It's all faith has got to do with now. Now, if you want to understand what God is saying through me, you have to believe now. That's faith. Lord, I want to believe. I want to understand, Lord. Now, you're not saying, Lord, pastor has heard, I will take the notes. Tomorrow I will listen again. No, that's not faith. That's not faith. Faith is always connected. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for. Okay, it's, it's, it's now. It is now. Okay. And we need to realize hope is where we misunderstand. We don't understand. We've been looking at something is that we are facing a spiritual war. From the day Adam and Eve fell, they fell because of a spiritual battle. Through deception, they fell. The battle has been raging for 6,000 years. And this is a war. It's a war. Paul says, we do not fight flesh and blood. The devil may speak through flesh and blood, but if you fight them, we are losing the battle. We have to fight the powers behind it. Okay? If you lose this war, Baal will win. Meaning there will be only one opinion left. The false opinion which is sold to us as truth. That was what sold to Eve. If you eat, you will surely not die and you will be like God. And she received, that became her truth. And that truth is passed on for 6,000 years. If you do this, you will not die and you will become like God. You have the autonomy to make your decisions. You are God. That lie is passed on for 6,000 years and people are still swallowing it. Only one truth will be left. So in this battle in Ephesians 6, we know that battle. We are called on to first to not to fight. We are called on to put on the full armor of God. Nobody goes to fight without armor. Armor. Okay, you put on armor and go to fight. Like the, the now it is moved to another town called Kenosha. The rights that is going on. Okay, and uh, you look at the cops and you look at the rioters. The cops are in full riot gear and now the rioters are also coming in riot gear. <laughs> okay, so you know you cannot fight a battle without armor. 
because there is weapons being used, projectiles being used, all kind of things that can harm you bodily being used. Now, we are fighting a spiritual battle. So, we are not being harmed in our body. We are being harmed in our soul. Projectiles are being sent against our soul day and night. So, God says, don't get into this without your armor. So, if you know, we know that we are asked to put truth, righteousness, faith, peace. These are all parts of our body armor, all part. And if you notice the full armor of God, there is no cover for the back. There is no cover for the back. And the reason there is no cover for the back is you are never called to turn your back and retreat. You turn your back, you are done. Anyone who puts his hand on the plow and looks back is not worthy. It doesn't matter how many times you fall. You don't turn your back to this. You get up and you say, I'm still in this battle. I am still in this battle. I, I Failure does not matter. Failure does not matter because I've seen the end of the story. End of the story. The end of the story is the war has been won. And the prince and the princess lived happily ever after. Hmm? That's the ultimate. And it's not a fairy tale. It's not a fairy tale. It's a real story. Okay, of Christ and his bride. Okay. Yet there are people halting between two opinions. They are struggling. Christians are struggling. So we will look at one portion of Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17. How do I stop? How do I stop? 6 and verse 17. Okay. That's the last piece that is mentioned. And then it says... Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. One is for attack, offense, defense, whatever you see. And says, Uddhar Kitopi, helmet of salvation. Okay, helmet of salvation. Now the question is, helmet of salvation. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and words say, what is this helmet of salvation? What is helmet of salvation? Okay, 5-8. Oh, 5-8, sorry, not 18, 5-8. Let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Hope is your helmet. Faith is your shield. Hope is your helmet. And the, our issue is that there is always a disconnect between our heart, where our faith comes, and our shield by which we resist the enemy, and our helmet. A lot of Christians are fighting this battle, even if they have other pieces of armor on, their head does not have their helmet. Are we getting the picture? Let us see how they are connected. Okay, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart, that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness. So faith is in the heart. Hope is in the mind. These both have to go together if you will not falter between two opinions. Faith is primarily in the heart. And hope is in the... Truth is both in the heart and the mind. Okay, truth encompasses everything, so we will not look at truth. Okay, why is this so important? Why is this so important? First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse nineteen, very familiar for us. First 
in this life only we have hope in Christ. We are of all men the most pitiable. What is he talking about? He's talking bringing the difference between faith and hope. Faith is hope in this life. Hope is primarily connected with the life that is coming. If you don't have hope in that, you won't make sacrifices now. What do you want? Take it. Believe you shall have it. Believe you shall have it. Believe you shall have it. According to your faith. According to your faith. According to your faith. Do you believe? Yes. He who believes all things are possible. Do you believe? Yes, I believe. Let me ask you this question. Do you have hope for a crown on the other side? I, I believe for a promotion. Good for you. I'm believing for a house. Good for you. I'm believing for a car. Good for you. I'm believing and I'm confessing. All that is good. But you cannot believe and confess for a crown. You cannot. That is not given to believing. That is given to action. And that action comes only if you hope for something that is beyond this life. Beyond this life. And that is where our mind goes. That is where the problem comes. That is why when it talks about truth, it talks about girding the loins of our mind. This truth has to become how you think. Then you only have one opinion. That is the hope. So there is a connection between the mind and the heart. In John chapter 4 and verse 24, this is what Jesus is trying to tell the Samaritan woman. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Okay, One is connected with the heart. Heart is the seat of your spirit, basically. When you talk about heart, it doesn't mean here. That's the, the seat of the spirit. Mind is the seat of your... Uh, the truth is seated in your mind. There has to be a connection between these two where they both win. Or they both are one. Otherwise, what you can is that I can believe for something from God, receive it, and yet have multiple opinions of different things. See, when people came and asked Jesus for many things, he never asked them, how do you think? Did you go to church? Did you attend the synagogue regularly? Do you believe in the Torah? Do you believe? He never asked any of those things. He said, take it. And they got it. They got it. All they had to believe was that God had the power to heal. So any Muslim, any Hindu, anybody who comes to a healing meeting, if he believes Jesus has the power to heal, gets healed and goes. That doesn't mean his mind has changed. That's why Jesus made it very clear. Go out and preach the kingdom. That's one opinion. It's contrary to every other opinion. That's one ideology contrary to every other ideology. Preach the kingdom and heal the sick. So when they see this, they should believe in this. The problem is, we don't preach this. We show this. And lives are not changed. So God is saying, talking about, there is a set of people who will rise, where their heart and their mind are aligned and they are one. What they believe? Is also how they think. They have only one opinion. You ask them about anything, they have an opinion about it. And you look at their opinion, their opinion agrees with their word. And their faith is also accordingly. So they are not bothered primarily whether they are healed or not. Whether they prosper in this world or not. They are willing to sacrifice all this and never compromise on what they believe. 
while the other fellow will compromise only the as long as he gets what he wants. That is what Bible says. He gave them what they asked. But it's leanness in their souls. If you ask the children of Israel, where our prayers answer, they'll say yes, every one of them. There's not a single prayer that was denied. Everything we asked, we gave them. Some of his answers brought judgment, but he answered all our prayers. But did he enter the promised land? Because the promised land is a set of ideas, the ideology of the kingdom. Did you win your battles? Did you conquer? Did you possess that life of Christ Jesus? No. Because your mind and your heart were disconnected. Disconnect. There was a disconnect over there. That's what God is talking about. In Psalm 119 and verse 11, Psalm 119, verse 11. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Okay? Your word I have hidden in my heart. Now he's not talking about faith. In terms of getting things from God. He's talking about your, my mind, And my heart functions the same. You cannot hide his word in your heart unless you have memorized it. You can memorize something and never believe it in your heart. So when he is using hidden in my heart, he is talking about two things. One, I know in my mind. And two, I believe in it. And the result of it, that I may not sin against you. All the fellows who cheat, with money, no math very well. <laughs> right? They mind they're perfect in their calculation. Five plus five is ten. Hundred plus hundred is two hundred. But they don't believe in that math. If they can dupe you, they will dupe you. That is an original example, okay, on the spur of the moment, okay? okay? That's what God is talking about. It's not enough to have an opinion. That opinion should be life. That's the difference between Saul and David. Saul had opinions. David had life. His heart and mind was in one line. Opinions alone, unless it becomes life, can be swayed. You will halt, you will falter, you will dance between one or the other. And it's a very dangerous thing. It's because when you fall in sin, if you do not have convictions, you will falter between two opinions. I'll tell you the simple example. David is caught. What is his response? I have. Saul is called. What does he first say? I have obeyed. I have sinned. I have obeyed. I have sinned. It's all written in two opinions. No conviction, this guy. Right. He's dancing between two. I have obeyed the Lord. I have sinned. Stand with me. Let people don't think the other way. You know? That's a man of no convictions. David has done even more words. But his mind and his heart is aligned. And he's a miserable man. And he says, I have sinned. And God says, I have forgiven him. I understand this. You are real. You are real. You don't have two opinions about this one thing. 
And that's what is happening. We, we, we don't realize the church in the West was very subtly, continuously attacked over the years and decades and they have reached this point like Laodicea, neither hot nor cold. Okay. What do you think about abortion? Sometimes pro-choice, sometimes pro-life. Depends. What is that to depend upon? Everybody knows. If it's a choice between the mother and the baby, of course we know you have to make a choice. But let it be that alone. Let it be that alone. The choice is not between the life of the mother and the baby. Nobody will ask that question. That's not the question. The question is, is it abortion or adoption? That is the two choice. That is the two choice. So we had a beautiful example of a police officer giving his testimony when he saw these two people, a man and a woman, and uh, he looked at them and he says, I knew the signs. They were trying to trying to uh, go on a high, and then he realized the woman is pregnant. I cannot draw over. Go back and see it. Each of the, it was not a convention. These were testimonies of real people. And then he sat with her and counseled her and said, don't do it. Don't kill your baby. I will adopt the baby. A police officer and a drug addict. And you know, he adopted the baby. And she didn't kill her baby. Real life examples. Real life examples. We are absolutely against abortion. But we love people. So I always say, understand the failings of humanity. And condemn the sin. But have an inclusive culture of life. And not of death. A culture of life. You don't have to abort. You don't have to abort. Why do you have to abort babies in the U.S.? Four of the babies from our special needs home, which got adopted, three went to U.S. What does that mean? They're still longing for life. And you're killing your own babies and adopting from India. What kind of nonsense is this? One went to Sweden. There also abortion is legal. U.S. also you can abort anywhere, anytime now, many states. And you're still adopting. Why don't you just... Create a culture and allow that that freedom to speak that out and say, you know what? There's only one opinion. That opinion is life. Every other opinion is death. Okay, you know what? If you have an unwanted pregnancy and you are struggling, we are there to help you out. We will adopt that baby. Please don't kill that baby. Because my God values life. This is how you come come to one point. One opinion. It's abortion. Or adoption. And it's very easy to make a choice then. No? Sexuality. Heterosexual or bisexual. From bisexual you go to all the other side. On this side there is only one. Heterosexual. First you have to decide heterosexual before you can go to monogamy. Heterosexual, monogamy. And then bisexual. Lesbian, gay, go all that. So you have to make a choice. What do you believe in? Heterosexual. Male, man and woman. Not man and man. Not woman and woman. Not man and beast. Okay. So you have to make these choices. And the problem is on one side, you have Baal's choices. One side is fighting for God's choices. And they are not even fighting just for their choices. They are fighting for the freedom to speak those choices. They have come to that end. You cannot even speak these choices anymore. 
You have shouted down. In a land of the free. <laughs> you are not even allowed to have an opinion. That's what is happening. That's what cancel culture is basically. Cancel culture. And all these Christians who sit there and listen to CNN or MSNBC and all these other if you look at their reporters, they are all on this side of the spectrum. They've already made their choices and they're pushing their choices, their narrative to you. Because they already made it. Many of them are gay, lesbian, bisexual. Most of them are onto that side. Okay. Onto that side. And they're pushing. So the news itself is no longer news. News was supposed to be reporting on something that is happening. That doesn't happen anymore. What they are giving you is opinions. Or what happened or what should have happened or how should have happened. They're <laughs> not reporting on what actually happened. So then automatically you move into gender and you have to ask this question. What do you believe? What is your opinion? Male or female? No. So we do not realize why everybody's eyes is on that country? Because you're fighting. This is the last battle. Okay? What is your opinion about the health mandate in US? People don't understand what are the major issue with Obamacare. It was not problem. The problem was not with the health care. The problem was one condition in the health care. That is, it is mandatory. You know what it means? Everybody has to buy it, whether you need it or not. I may be healthy. I don't need health care, but I have no choice. I have to buy it. So you have a nation of, let us say, 300 million people, 100 million don't want. You have no choice. You will buy it. And that is for the conservatives and affront to individual personal liberty. How can the government say that I have to buy into something which actually concerns me? My health is my concern. It's not your concern. If I come to you, I will buy it. If I need it, I will buy it from Medicare, Medicaid, whatever, I will buy it. But you can't force it on me. So where does my individual liberty go? You see the steps in which they have gone. One by one by one. So once you are Bought into something which they say is mandatory. The next thing they wanted to make was the mask mandatory. People do not realize this big picture. They are after your individual personal freedom given by God Almighty. You choose life or death. I still give you that choice. You choose. And the entire media is on one side and they lie to you. Till today, except for Laura Ingram, Till today, no media people has reported the actual fact. The actual fact is that U.S. has around 100 and 300, let's say 300 million people. And it is kind of equally divided into 150 million or 140 million red and 140 million uh, blue states. States-wise, if you look at it, population-wise, though the red states are more than blue, the blue states have more population, like California and all. So you put it as a divided into 140, 140 million into red and blue. The blue states rules were draconian, forcing lockups, lockdown, mass compulsory, police checkpoints, all kind of things they did. 
Red states were more giving the people. So you choose. Don't. Don't do it. Don't do it. Do it. But they were not draconian in their, in their, they say. And then look at the figures. As of today, one lakh, one hundred and seventy-seven thousand people have died of COVID and how much of this figure is manipulated. But let's take it at one lakh eighty or one hundred and eighty thousand people died. Let me tell you the actual figures. More than two-thirds of people who died are from blue states. So was your lockdown effective? Was your mandatory, all these things which you did? How come more people died in your states and only one-third died in the red states where people were given the freedom to choose? Why don't you point that out? Why don't you? Because it doesn't fit in with your narrative. Because if that truth is known, that actually, and then you add the blue cities in red states, the numbers go up even more on this side. Like Austin, Texas. It's a blue city. These are the mayors who have complete power. Like uh, Kumo can't do anything against Blasio. Because the mayors are elected, they have powers. The mayor tells the police, stand down, they have to stand down. So you have blue cities in red states where the mayors were draconian in their lockdown and everything. And you look at their figures, the casualty rate is much more higher though in those cities. So you look at the picture, we are not, we are talking about real facts, the data, because data doesn't, okay, you have, I don't know how many hundred thousand, how many thousand counties, if you look at counties in US, most of the death is in 31 counties, almost 90% plus deaths in US are in this 31 counties of all the counties in US, but you lock the whole country down. Why are you not releasing this data? Because it does not suit your narrative. Narrative. No. You're talking about COVID-19 deaths. What about depression and suicide and drug abuse and everything that is going on during this lockdown? When the rage on the street is before people are locked down for months together. You see, these are opinions. Which opinion will you believe? No. So that's what God is talking about. There is a disconnect between heart and head. In the Christians, there's a disconnect. You have one set of Christians on this side will say, no, we will vote blue. But do you understand what they actually believe in? What they actually stand for? How can How can you vote for this agenda? How can you even think about it? Because there is a disconnect between your head and your heart, your head and your heart. You are like the children of Israel who came out of Egypt. Did you get what you asked for? Yes. Are you going to enter the promised land? No. Even when you are walking on in the wilderness towards the promised land, your mind is on leeks, garlic, fish, meat, all that you ate in Egypt. There is a disconnect between your head and your heart. Your heart. That's the truth about Christians today. All you hear is ask, ask, name, claim, get it. It's all about the temporal life. And there is fact in it. Jesus did it. In every area of life, Jesus did it. How faith worked. Whether it was sickness, whether it was hunger, whether it was death. Every area he did it. It works. But he said that's just a sign. You're missing the message. You're missing the message. The message is every sign is pointing you towards eternity. 
eternity. And this is what happened in Hebrews 4.2. This is what the word of God says. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them. Did not profit them. Because they did not mix it with faith. They did not mix it. They didn't believe. They didn't. Their head and their heart was disconnected. They didn't really believe. What they heard did not become life. Did not become life. Like Jeremiah would say in Jeremiah 20 and verse 9. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak anymore in his name. But his word was in my heart, like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. The bones is your innermost part. That's why when the man tells, tells us his woman, the bone of my bones. Okay? Flesh of my flesh. Our joke in the house is that I am the bone of her bone, and she is the flesh of my flesh. I am bony, she is fleshy. Okay, so we are made for each other, bone and flesh. Okay, but, <laughs> but I'll get when I finish the finish the finish the message. Malkriyad, I will hear. Okay, so but look at this. His word was in my heart, but it shut up in my bones. It has become my life. It has become my life. It has become my life. That's what the Bible is talking. It's not only hidden in my heart. It has become my life. So truth is more than an opinion. More than an opinion. That's why Jesus does not come and says, I will teach you about truth. He says, I am the truth. See, when a truth becomes a person, then you have to choose. God is truth. If God is truth, then Baal is lie. God is life, then Baal is death. So you are choosing between eternal life and eternal death. So ask this question. Does my head alone respond to the word or also my heart? Does my heart alone respond to the word or also my head? If it's only a heart that is responding and not the head, it's emotion. You get excited when the message is going on and forget it. By the time you have left, it's gone. Do you remember yesterday's message? You don't have to remember the whole message. Something God would have spoken to you. Middle of it. That was meant for your heart and your mind to keep it there. Or it's just emotions. There has to be a connection between the mind and the heart. And we have the mind of Christ. Says you have it. We have the heart of Christ too. God is truth. God is not just showing us truth. That is a different thing. After he shows us the truth, the truth has to become us. And when it becomes us, it has been internalized, our mind and our heart. Look at Psalm 36 and verse 9. 36 and verse 9. Yeah. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. That's why Jesus came and said, I am the light. In my life, you will see how life should be lived. That's life. In him was life. That life was the light of men. In your light, we see light. Without his light, 
we see. But the light we see is actually darkness. It's darkness. And that's how the enemy has blinded the eyes of the people. In your light, only we will see light. So everybody wants to work. God says, don't work. How can you work in darkness? Nobody can work in darkness. If it's pitch black, like three days in Egypt, everybody said they did nothing. What does that mean? It means that for three days, Egypt did no work. Three days, there was light in Jewish homes. They moved around in their houses. So for three days of Jesus, first day, second day, third day, it is only those who have light who will be working. The others' works have no meaning at all. They may be very active, but it's not considered work at all. Because they cannot see. Social causes, this causes, building these, all that Noah's generation did. And Noah also did. But Noah saw light in his light. His construction was different because it came, proceeded out of God's light. I'm going to destroy, build something. The others never heard that. They were all building. Probably some fantastic structures they built. They were all building. But there was no light because they did not see his light. And that's what the Bible is saying. In your light, we see light. Psalm 106 and verse 13. They soon forgot his works. Very, very quickly we forget what he did in our lives. You know why? Because we don't wait for his counsel. There is, there is no heart-mind coordination. We don't wait for his counsel. They did not wait for his counsel. Very quickly they forgot. They did not allow their mind to be renewed by the word of God. That's one of the things which God always taught me right from the beginning when I came to the Lord. Listen to preachers of all spectrum. Baptists, good Baptist preachers are fantastic preachers in teaching you line by line, precept by precept. Listen to them. Listen to Pentecostal preachers because they have a revelatory aspect which you don't see here. And you need both. You need both. You need understanding and revelation. You need both. The problem is Pentecostals will only go those way. They won't listen to this guy. And these people won't listen to this guy. They will only go. We need both. We need both. We don't have both. We'll be off tangent. They did not wait for his counsel. Finally, what happens? Verse 43 of that same psalm. Psalm 106 verse. Many times he delivered them. They saw his acts, the signs. But they missed the message. But they rebelled in their counsel. Not his counsel. They did not wait for his counsel. So it didn't matter how many signs we have experienced in our life. We go by our counsel. Our counsel. This is the problem. The mind and the heart is not getting connected. Getting not connected. It's not getting connected. And people struggle. All of us struggle. <laughs> now, all of us struggle. Because we, if you are actually walking with the Lord and growing in the spirit, you are going to face more and new and new encounters. 
because new and new ideas are coming and suddenly you realize, hey, I never encountered this idea before. Let me go back and check and wait for his counsel. What does he have to say? Like, in my lifetime, when I grew up as a child, you know, when I grew up as a child in school and everything, honestly, let me tell you, we did not know what homosexuality was. We did not. Nobody even heard about it. Nobody even talked about it. Never ever discussed about it. It was never in the public platform or the private platform. We didn't know what it was. Okay. It's when we went to undergraduate, we heard a couple of boys in the group talking about it and they used terms to describe it and we didn't know what these terms meant in the regional language. So what does that mean? Okay. We totally, then we come, we become believers and we go, you are into ministry and everything. And let me tell you, until a year or a few years back, we never had to tackle something called transgenderism. <laughs> we didn't even know. We didn't even think about these things. And when you hear something new, don't run with your counsel. Wait for his counsel. It's here. It's all here. Otherwise, if you run with your own counsel, you will be brought low because of your iniquity, because you will take the counsel of Baal, and you will be heaping iniquity upon iniquity, and you will be brought low. He was the first fellow to be brought low because of his iniquity, because he would not accept the counsel of God. Counsel of God. So these are not small things, these are important things. And I do believe this lockdown in the world around is primarily for the church to come to one opinion. Come, make use of this time. Make use of this time. Spend time, study, pick and choose good teachers of the world, around the world, if you're on YouTube or whatever. Don't pick preachers who are mollycoddling your emotions alone. Don't pick them. That makes you feel so good and nice about yourself. They're stealing your crown. Stealing a crown. Pick four preachers like Elijah who will confront you. There are 7,000 others nobody knows. They are also servants of God. God knows them, but no man knows them. There are 100 others who have a prophetic lineage. But they are hidden. At the time, hour of crisis, they are hidden. One man is there. One man alone. And one man stands against everything that is opposing God. And God sustains that one man alone, supernaturally for three and a half years. Even the hundred prophets has to be fed by another man. Not this man. This man said, I see you. God says, you have only one opinion. Your opinion is Yahweh. You're standing up. I will hide you. I will protect you. And I will feed you. And then I will protect you. And when you come out, you will stand between life and death. You will make atonement for these people. So God says, how long will you halt between two opinions? How long? Saul, did you wait for Samuel? No. Did you wait for Samuel? He gave you counsel. Did you wait for that counsel? No. You offered the sacrifice. Did you wait? You didn't wait. I have obeyed. I have sinned. Make up your mind. Are you, have you obeyed or have you sinned? Make up your mind. 
you are evil i will kill you that's david oh david my son you are more righteous than me come on make up your mind he is either this or that make up your mind don't fall between two opinions but what did the bible say the people said people say nothing it's not because they cannot it's because they will not that's why bible says if only in this life you have hope in christ you are the most miserable you know why people don't make up mind on things that matter to the kingdom of god because they don't want to lose on this life say you are pro life I will lose in my company. I will lose. I will lose. I will lose. I will lose. Come on. Are you for bisexuality or uh, heterosexuality or homosexuality? I am heterosexual. I believe that is the only way. You don't have to go around speaking it out. But if somebody asks you, do you have only one opinion? You can be this. You can be this. Or you have only one opinion. Are you for abortion or for adoption? Personally, I have only one opinion if somebody has come done abortion i will not condemn but if i were to know i will say don't do it don't do it don't do it, do it. down to last week when one of the calls came about this thing now he said don't do it and if nobody can have the baby give it to us one more baby what difference does it make we can take care of babies who can't get up from their beds who will be bedridden all their life can't we take care of a normal baby Does it bother you? That's what God is talking about. Do you do you have an opinion? If you don't have opinion, if you are a child of God, you will be miserable. The problem is, so many Christians want this world when they live, and want heaven when they die. That actually means they have made their choices. Two opinions. They want Baal when they are living and Christ when they are dying. I didn't check it out, but I heard a preacher say, Christ is mentioned in the New Covenant 90, uh, 92 times. Of his 90 times he's mentioned, whatever term in Greek was using, I'm not very sure, he's called two times he's called christ and 90 times he's called lord who is he to you ninety times he's lord two times christ our struggle is not with christ we want christ when we die we want baal when we are living question is every time you look in the mirror what do you see heaven or earth we do not realize we have the most wonderful symbol of what god is talking right before us every time when i look into the mirror what i notice is i am aging you know what it means this life is temporary there is something that is coming eternal it doesn't matter how many choices you make connected with this life that is what matters make your choices make your choices every day that's what god jesus actually meant don't worry about what you eat what you drink what you wear he says this is temporary 
that that's very very uh, perspective that is on that temporal think about what is eternal what what matters in eternal he says seek ye first the kingdom of god because it's eternal forever and ever his righteousness it's eternal the scepter of his kingdom is righteous put your perspective right and then you will get everything falls into place put your perspective the kingdom that is eternal not the kingdom of india but the kingdom of god that's why i was so pleased i mean outwardly what it's not my job to go and check each one's heart especially this season of politics each platform is coming forward and speaking out and they're very very clear about what they are speaking very very speaking very clear the choice is very very clear each one has spoken it is what we believe the first people said four days the second people three days this is what we believe choice is very clear no and the thing is that both groups are fighting for something that is very temporal that is four years of power and what i look at is one group stood up and says we will put our hand on the eternal and we are not ashamed to acknowledge him god the other said we are putting hand on the temporal and we are not ashamed to acknowledge it man and all the deviant of men still fight for them <clears throat> that's what the bible is saying everyone is outwardly perishing <clears throat> that's not the question that's irrelevant from the richest guy in the world who is that currently amazon founder right yeah Bezos to the poorest man on the street, everybody is outwardly perishing. You can have botox injections on your face. You can do all that. It's only for a season. It's not going to change. No, change. It's not going to change. Because we know all. Because politicians are there. We know. Look at Trump when he was young and Trump today. Okay, he looked like a playboy then, and he looks. He looks old. Look at Hillary Clinton or Nancy Pelosi. They're pretty when they were young. They look like hags now. There's no grace on their face. There's no grace. No, you age gracefully. You age gracefully. You look at some women as they age. Aging naturally, but you see grace on their face. Grace. You know what? It's the inward thing reflecting on their face. <coughs> you know, age. You know, and you can you can make out. can make out and that's outwardly everybody is perishing outwardly everybody is but that's never the question the question is what about inwardly are you being renewed inwardly and you will not unless you approach it both with your heart and your mind there is faith in your heart and hope in your head here in your mind you got the helmet of salvation firmly as far as christian soldiers are concerned who are in this battle there is a compulsory rule helmet compulsory helmet compulsory if christianity is not worth dying for forsake him forsake christ and go to hell that's that's what elijah is saying and that's what christ is also saying either be hot or cold don't stand in the middle if christ is not worth dying for live for god if christianity is not worth living and dying for be cold go to the world have a blast 
and die and go to hell. He's not condemning. He says, you chose your way. I didn't choose. You chose. I said before you life and death and I told you, choose blessings, choose life. I told you, choose. But I will not take your free will. You have to choose. You have to choose. <clears throat> and Jesus made it very clear. No man can stand, can serve two masters. No man can stand. Yeah, we don't have to go there. No man can serve two masters. And by standing in the middle, what you actually have is a false hope. You have false hope. You think you are going somewhere when you are going nowhere. Yeah? If you look at the children of Israel, what did they do the 40 years? Watch. Onward Christian souls. But every year the scenery looks the same. Why is this? Why is there no progress? Are you marching? Yes. Ready, steady, go. Ark is there. Priests are there. Horn is blown. Everybody. The problem is if you look a little later, they are going in a big circle. They are not going anywhere. You know why? Because they stood in the middle. The Christians who sit in the middle are going nowhere. Nowhere. It's a false hope. False hope. Your hope should be what you buckle on. You know, yes, you get on your bike, everything, bike is great, everything he said, but you know, the helmet gives you a feeling. Are crash ho In case my bike cracks, it crashes, I may break a leg, I may break a hand, but I know one thing, my head is safe. And when you enter into heaven, or you finish a race, you finish head first. Lot of people may enter into heaven with head injuries. They enter into heaven and realize, I just got in, but I really don't have the mind of Christ Jesus. If you make it. Okay. Then, verse 30 of First Kings chapter 18. Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. Oh, uh, verse 29, sorry. Verse 29. When midday was passed, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Meaning, <clears throat> the prophets of Baal were allowed to fail till evening. Evening means it's the end of the day. End of the day. Have you noticed for five months, nothing is moving? God is allowing all the prophets of Baal to fail. So that his children can make a choice. He allowed them to try everything possible. Nothing. They tried all their tricks in their book. A few new ones also maybe. Nothing worked. No one answered. No one paid attention. No voice. Isn't that what's happening with the COVID-19? New Zealand was 100 days. This thing we are opening up. Two days later they shut down everything. Very strange. Very strange. Right? That's what happened. 
We have a solution. We will do it. Nothing seemed to happen. Only after the prophets of Baal failed. When they had failed completely, evening time, you know what he said? In verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, there was no voice, no attention, no response. You know why? Because of Elijah. And Elijah is God. God is there. He's always there. But God is not enough in a person's life. You need a Elijah in your life. The question is this. If you do not have the voice of Elijah in your life, who binds the powers of darkness? And what if they bring forth a fire? What happens to you? Got it? What if you don't have an Elijah in your life? Who blocks every false blessings which appear as good in your life, who blocks it. When fire comes, it will be the fire of God and not the fire of any false God. What if you don't have an Elijah in your life? What happens? Think about it. What happens? What happens to a church of 5,000 people full of prophets of Baal and there is not even one believer who actually knows the truth and stands there between life and death and intercedes for the church. You don't have one person that God can stop. He will allow the whole church to go into delusion. The importance of one. That's what God said. I waited for, looked for one man. One man. Have you thought about it? Notice this. Not one person and all the people came near to him. Not one person moved towards Elijah until the prophets of Baal had failed. Question is, what if the prophets of Baal don't fail? You are not in this kind of a battle, universal battle now. It's all localized. What if the prophets of Baal don't fail? Where will the people move? Already they are between two opinions. The opinion was made known only because they heard the voice of Elijah. Otherwise, they wouldn't even know they are halting between two opinions. <laughs> Sometimes you don't even know who you are until you are confronted with who you are. There was an Elijah who spoke and that's when you realized, ah, I'm neither here nor there. How did you know? Because they made no movement. You need to realize not one person not one person moved towards Elijah until the prophets of Baal had failed. And Baal had failed. So the question God asks is, are you going to wait till all your money fails? You? Because that's what Baal gives you. God also gives you. But Baal, people follow Baal. Are you going to wait till your health fails you completely? And you're going to cry on to Jesus from your deathbed? Are you going to wait till all your friends fail you? And then turn around and say, oh, what a great friend I have in Jesus. Are you going to wait till then? Are you going to wait till 
all your family fails you? Joseph didn't wait. He had already chosen God before his family failed him. So he was never alone. <laughs> if he had chosen God, after his family failed him, he would have probably found himself alone. But the thing is that he had already chosen God. So when his family failed him, God never failed him. Will you wait? These people moved towards Elijah. Thank God for God's mercy. <laughs> you know, The people moved towards Elijah only after the prophets of Baal moved, failed, and then he invited them again. Come near. That's why the question, how long? <laughs> how long? Come near me. That's the call. And scripture says, all the people moved, came near to him. Evening is here. The end of the age is very, very close. Very, very close. And there's this cry of God going out, come near me, come near me. Come near me. Come near me. Come near me. And this almost here. The voice of Elijah is going out, come near me. Voice of John the Baptist went out proclaiming the way, come near to Jesus. One more time, the same spirit will also cry out, come, come, come. And we struggle because we have all our plans for the world in our head. And we are always looking at it, if I go near to him, what happens to this? What happens to this? What happens to this? That's what COVID-19, all dreams have been put on the freezer. For a season. But we are still waiting for the freezer to be opened so that the dreams will live again. And he says, so all the people came near to him. And the Bible says, he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. So the question is, what is the state of your altar? What is, look at the state of the, somebody some, sometime in the past had built an altar to the Lord. On Mount Carmel. There's the altar to the Lord. There was the altar to Baal also. They never says they repaired the altar of Baal. Look at your Bible. Same mount. Look at your phone. Same or computer. Same computer. Bible gateway opened once in 10 days. Amazon Prime is always open. Interesting, right? Amazon Prime is always open. Netflix subscription, everything is there. No, we don't subscribe to any of these things. I'm just telling examples about Christians. Ultraball flourishing. Nothing to be repaired. It's cleaned, polished every day. Altar of God is broken down. The altar of Baal is where the will of man, the flesh of man, the desires of man is Reignited every day. This is not thy name, thy kingdom, thy will. It's not my name, my kingdom, my will. Of course, we don't say that. We use colorful language, but the message is the same. Lord, please, Lord, bless me, Lord. Promotion, Lord, trouble, Lord, money, Lord, house, Lord, this thing, Lord. Jesus put it across one line. Give us this day our daily bread. Oh, our daily bread is so long. See, all trouble. Lord's altar is unused, untainted. 
So God is first, he's talking about. You see, the thing is that, the Bible doesn't say the people repair the altar of God. People cannot repair the altar of God. Elijah repairs the altar of God. He repairs. The Bible does not say in the gospel or in the book of Job in chapter 1 that Job's sons and daughters offered sacrifice. It says he offered sacrifices. See, the man who has bent his knee before God is the only one who can repair the altars. Others cannot repair the altars. They cannot. It's Elijah who repaired the altar. It's Job who offered prayers and sacrifices for his children. They did not. So God is first says, he says, first thing he says is, check the state of your altar. Check the state of your altar. The most important part of the altar. Okay, let me tell you about Baal's altar or God's altar. Whichever altar it is. Whether it is Baal, which is world. God, which represents the kingdom of God, whichever altar you have in your life, there is surrender before both. You cannot have an altar without surrender. The simple rule of nature. Right? If I have to go with Sammy or Peter or Dr. Richard or Dr. Um, Pastor Vijay, any one of you in your bike or vehicle, I have to choose to surrender myself to your driving. If I have to move with you. I cannot sit at the back and jump and do I will have an accident. I have to surrender. We don't realize every day our life begins with surrender. Either to Baal or to God. Either we surrender to our self-will or we surrender to the will of God. It is impossible to have an altar without surrender. And everybody has an altar. If there is not a single human being on the earth who does not have an altar. Everybody has an altar. And every day there is worship there. And every day there is sacrifice there. The question is to whom? Is to whom? Is to whom? Everybody has. There is nobody. There is nobody. Nobody. Who does not have an altar. Or sacrifice. Or worship. The question is. Will you kneel down to God? In John chapter 8, verses 41 to 44, it's a very interesting five verses. Oh, oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Not John, not John, John. It has to be, must be Luke. In Malayalam, we will say, Luke, not Luke. How do I goof up like this? Give me a second. Give me a second. This is the, no, the woman who was healed of her 12 years. Matthew, okay, Matthew 8. Are you sure? No, no, it's not Matthew, it's not Matthew. Excuse me. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Matthew 9? No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, Matthew 9, we can go to Matthew 9, verses 18 to 20. Or 22. 
When he spoke these things to him, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him and say, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. So Jesus arose and followed him. So did his disciples. Suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for twelve years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned and when he saw her, he said, But I mean, this was not the exact passage I wanted. Uh, Can we go to the other one? Luke 8? Okay. Luke 8, it is 8, I know. Yeah, Luke 8, yeah, exactly, that is uh, 41, right? Yes, Luke 8, 41, yeah. It's Luke, I, it was instead of John, it was Luke. Okay, Luke 8, 41 to 44, it gives more detail. Behold, there came a man named Jairus, he was the ruler of the synagogue. He fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. For he had only one daughter, about 12 years old, she was dying. That's when the multitude thronged him. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who had spent all her livelihood on physicians could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his or hem of his garment and immediately her flow of blood stopped. Jesus said, who touched me? And when all denied, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitude throng and press you. And you say, who touched me? But Jesus said, somebody touched me for I pursued power going out from me. When the woman saw that she was, now we know, we are not looking at that. If you look at it, there's a crowd of people there. There are only two people who will receive something from God that day. One is Jairus, the other is woman. It's two people. One comes from the friend visibly and kneels before him. The other comes from behind without him knowing and kneels and touches the hem. Two people had to kneel and surrender to him before they received something from him. And Jesus only acknowledged those two. One, he was willing to go with him who came publicly and he commended the one who came from behind. That's what surrender is. That's what surrender is. Both of them had a will. The man had a will, the woman had a will. Both of them surrendered their will and fell on their knees before him. One knowingly. One, nobody knew. In Luke chapter 22, verse 41, this is the last of his days. He was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw and he knelt down and he prayed. God kneeling down to God. He withdrew. He withdrew from them, went ahead of them. He said, pray for me. Remember, remain in prayer for at least an hour. God is saying, can you withdraw from all the others and just kneel before me? Just surrender? You're withdrawing from one opinion that leads to death and kneeling before, not opinion, before the one who is life. He's a sum total of opinions about every issue of life. That is life. That's what God is saying. Will you kneel? Because today people in US are all taking a new for Black Lives Matter. Leaders taking a knee. People who have never knelt in their prayer closets before God and cried out for mercy for this, all are taking a knee. But I'm sorry. We are not politically correct. 
when Jesus was crossed, on, nailed on the cross 2000 years ago, that statement was very clear. All lives matter. That's God's statement. Born and unborn. Of every color, creed, religion, or it doesn't matter what you are born, which part of the color of your skin, race, tribe, it is irrelevant. On the cross when he nailed, it was very clear statement from heaven. All lives matter. And he's kneeling down. Because our lives matter to him. He's praying for strength to go through for our sake. Jesus bent his knee to his father. The question is, will we? That's the beginning. That's the beginning. We don't understand. If we just listen to the word of God, we thought in our hearts and our minds, bending our knee, it just stays in the air as an opinion. That does not become life. Does not become life. We have to withdraw and bend our knee to everything that we know is true. True to Christ. Jesus bent his knee. That's how it begins. That's how you repair the altar. The altar is, the very fact that you're building an altar is because you're planning to surrender or you're surrendering. The act of building or repairing the altar itself is an act of surrender. You cannot have an altar without surrender and sacrifice and worship. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 5, Paul, oh, I think it is 19. Yes, yes. Um, it is 36, 20 and verse 36. Got it? And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. These are apostles. They had no issues with surrender. Their knees buckled easily before God. And 21, verse 5. When we had come to the end of those days, we departed, went on our way, and they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city and we knelt down on the shore and prayed. See, they, they were never ashamed of their God. All of them, publicly. They were never ashamed. These were not people who were politically correct. They were never ashamed of their God, of their Savior. Publicly, the whole lot of them, by the seashore, they all knelt down and they prayed. Now, there is a surrender. You see, you kneel down like that only when you have accepted his life as truth. This is our issue. Otherwise, we cannot repair this altar. We will all become theologians. Come near me, he says. And Elijah starts repairing that altar. That's what we basically do from the pulpit. Calling people, come near to God, not to us. And it's through the ministry of the word, repairing the altars. Check this, check this, check this. This stone is gone. This way there is no cement. There is no water. Fix it up. Fix it up. Put it right. In James chapter 4, verse 6 to 8. 
but he gives more grace. I just got a message. Just a good message. Hallelujah. Praise God. Prayed in the morning yesterday night. Johan got his visa. He's going to Bible college. Thank you, Lord. That kid needed a break. Awesome. Awesome. That's why we never give up on our kids, right? Right? God is good. God is good. I'm more, I am more excited when one of our kids goes to Bible college than goes to Howard. (laughs) Unless God wants him in Howard. He gives more grace. Therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Who's the humble? The humble is the one who bends his knee before God's truth. In his heart, and in his mind. Both in his mind and in his heart. Therefore submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. In verse 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double mind. It's not a shout, okay? It's an exhortation. <laughs> when preachers are mad, they shout this at you. And God is not... <laughs> <laughs> And the preacher who doesn't want people to come towards God will be all go, meaning go away far away, you sinner. No, God is saying, please come. Please come. Please come. Okay. But there is always statutory warning, okay? That's what God is saying. No. Who is this God that you and I are drawing close to, near to? Who is this God? Who is this God? Who is this God? Who is this God? Do you know who is this God? Hebrews twelve twenty nine. This God we are drawing near is a God. It's a consuming fire. It's a God who answers by fire. Either He will consume our sacrifice, or He will consume us. So we have to be very very careful. That's why God says, that's why the statutory, you draw near to God and just don't barge in. Okay? Purify your hands, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. Why? Because the first set of people, once this was instituted, who tried to approach God, learned it the hard way. Leviticus 10, verse 1 to 4, right? It's in Leviticus Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them. And they died before the Lord. Okay. This is what Jesus was talking about. You know? Then remember people talking about while they were offering sacrifice, they died. <laughs> Here, while they were worshipping, they died. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before the people, I must be glorified. Aaron held his face. Who is telling this to whom? Moses is telling this to Aaron. The reason is, Moses knows God so far in his mind and in his heart. Aaron and his sons do not know. 
He says, do you know what I mean? This is what it means. I told you so many times, God is holy, God is holy, God is holy. Do you understand what holiness is? This is the difference between a man who has encountered God and a man who has heard about the God this man encountered. And new covenant is every man encounters God, one way or other. And then grow in your encounters. Grow not in your encounters, grow through your encounters. When you agree this, you have to encounter him. That's the only way you will grow. Otherwise you only grow in your mind and you will not grow in your head. That's what God is talking about. They learned it the hard way. Israel learned it the hard way. They were like, they were like so cool. Why? Look at us. He's a cloud by day and fire by night. Oh, he's leading us by night. And then Numbers chapter 11 verses 1 to 3. When the people complained, it displeased the Lord. For the Lord heard it and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them. The same fire that was showing them light and giving them warmth, they turned around and bit them. In English, it is like a pet dog biting you. And they thought God was their pet dog. It turned around and burned them. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. And the people cried out to Moses. Remember, they did not cry out to Aaron. They cried out to Moses. And when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. So, God in the new covenant is telling, remember, God has never changed. He is still the same God. You are approaching a holy God. You are approaching a holy God. Hebrews 11.6 says, you can approach him only by faith. Right? Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God, comes to God, must believe that he is. He is exactly what he has said. He is from Genesis 1.1 to Revelation 22.21. So come by faith. Based on the actual true knowledge of who God is. Know your God. And he's the rewarder. He is not a punisher of those who diligently seek him. No. He's a rewarder of everyone who diligently seek him. He's a rewarder. So it is good for you to know him in your head and in your heart and approach him accordingly. You need to know him in your head. You need to know him in your heart. You need to know his ways. You need to know him as a person. You need to know him. And then what happens? Romans, sorry, Hebrews 4 and verse 16. How does he say you come? Therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace. Okay. But the question is, how can I have boldness when I read the entire Old Testament and find even the high priest did not have boldness. He says, come boldness. But where do I get this boldness from? How do I get this boldness from? And the Bible answers. Hebrews 10 and verse 19. Let us therefore, yeah, therefore brethren, having boldness, when you are coming to God, you are hindering the throne room of grace, that is the holy of holies. How? By the blood of Jesus. That's the only way you can come. That is where your boldness come. The high priest fearfully entered with the blood of a goat or a bull or whatever once a year. But he says, you can enter boldly through the blood of my son. We can enter boldly through the blood of my son. And verse 22 will explain it better. Let us 
let us draw how with a near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure is this is how you should approach our hearts cleansed the two parts here our hearts cleansed okay two part let us look at that two parts and then we'll close my part which only i can do and god's part which only he can do 1 john 1:9 if we confess our sins we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness this is the key god says come boldly confidently to the throne room of grace where does my boldness come from my boldness comes from because the blood of jesus christ has been shed once and for all so i come with boldness and confess my sins and he does what only he can do only he can forgive and cleanse the key is here hebrews 9:23 therefore it was necessary that the copies okay uh, we are talking about yeah we leave that part we now understand the whole perspective i i i uh, sorry uh, go to hebrews uh, not 9 uh, 10 23 yeah yeah let's look at that sometimes i get let us hold fast the confession of our hope yes that's the key without waver Where is your hope? In your mind. Be very careful. Don't rest on your feelings. What is said is true. If you confess, he is just and faithful. I don't feel forgiven. Hold fast to the confession of your hope without wavering. He said so. He said so. He has paid the price. i'm coming through the blood lot of people don't feel the reason is because they're putting their trust on their feelings no this is the helmet we buy, put in in the morning we put i remember a pastor saying but this is where we have to be very very careful a pastor no i'm not saying reading it's an old book where he says we do not sin in bundles therefore don't confess in bundles we don't sin in bundles so why does your confession become in in a bundle okay when your salvation began that's a different thing that is a bundle the nature of sin but after that in your daily walk with god the holy spirit will point it to you this is what specifics and just confess and get rid of it and you know what you put on the helmet strong
But you always remember, our faith is not in our repentance or our confession. However true it may be. It is by because people of other religions sometimes confess and repent better than Christians. But they receive no assurance of forgiveness. Because their God is different. Be very careful about it. You haven't seen people of other religion, devout people of other religion. They sometimes repent and confess. And those are Muslims or Buddhists. Sometimes with more brokenness than a Christian you may see. At their own experience, what we experience, the freedom, the liberty, the reason is, it's because their God is different from our God. We go to Him because of who He is. The greatest confessional ever written is Psalm 51. Look at how Psalm 51 begins. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgression. Now, if you are, if you have studied religion on your own, like I have done, kind of, whatever level, think about any other God in any other religion to whom you can say this. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, name me one God outside Christ. According to your loving kindness. Tell any God you know who can forgive. According to his nature. <laughs> According to his nature. Think about any God. According to his nature. Who can? Nobody. There's nobody. There's nobody. Now we need to understand because we went through this opinion. We are coming to one opinion. Ultimately, there is only one God who can forgive. Ultimately, when you stand before a judge, the only thing that matters is the verdict, guilty or not guilty. Whether I will receive mercy or not. Because all have sinned. If all have sinned, which God do you want to go before? The merciful, the just, and the merciful. Or the unjust, the unmerciful. Understand what opinions matter. So even when we confess, every religion there is confession. Even when we repent, every religion there is some level of repentance. Even when we make restitution, every religion talks about restitution. What matters is a God to whom you go. He is just and he is faithful. Ultimately, what are you banking on? You're banking on the nature of our God. Have mercy upon me, O God. Doesn't stop there. According to your loving kindness. Think about it. Who will you ask in this world of full of gods? Which God can you ask? According to the multitude of your tender mercies. And what are you asking forgiveness for? Lying, adultery, and murder. Deceit.
This is the first step. The first brick of the altar. You repair. Come near me and you repaired. This is the first thing. Every day we go back to him. Go back to him. Because the thing is that you need to realize I can have a clear, the first thing I need in my life with God is a clear conscience. And it's only possible if he cleans my conscience. And he says you are forgiven. Yesterday there was this incredible moment in time when this uh, prisoner who was a prisoner and the FBI thing I mentioned yesterday, FBI, no? But in that ambience, president, it was a surprise to him and his wife. He gave him his presidential pardon. You know what? His crime record from the federal, this thing is wiped out. It does not exist anymore. There's no record of it. It will be taken completely from the federal government's every database. He's as if he never committed that crime again, ever. You know what? We don't realize. We receive not a presidential, a monarch's pardon every day when we go to him. Every day. Every day. That's a first brick. That is the stone on which everything else is built. The first stone, the cornerstone of the altar. I am standing here only based on your work and your work alone, Lord. Every day I take a knee, not one knee, Lord. Both knees. I surrender to that truth. And I will have this in my head in. That's why David could rise up and Saul could not. And Saul could never rise. Could never rise. These are fundamental things of your walk with God. This is the first step. Every morning, this is the first step. And then we, from there, victory begins. Revelation chapter 12. And verse 1. 12-11, 12-11, 12-11. Revelation 12-11. The accuser of the brethren, they overcame him by the... That's the first step. Rest, let's leave it aside. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. You walk with a conscience that is purged, cleansed. You walk free. You don't begin your day with guilt and condemnation. That's what kills most people. Every day, they walk in guilt and condemnation. Because who is the devil? He's the accuser of the brethren. And what does Elijah do? He puts the first altar. First brick. Come near me. Come. And he repairs the altar. He repairs the altar. You know what he's doing? He's representing Christ there. He's becoming the intercessor between God and man. They can't repair. They have no life to repair. So I will do it for you. Just come near. That's all. Just draw close. Come near. Just come near. Let me start it with the first brick. One brick, one brick, twelve stones. Look at it another time. That's how we begin our day. You know, when we begin our day and continually keep growing, we'll people become people of one opinion. We will not halt between people of one. Not only that, this is how our day will be. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. And therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the... 
and we don't realize the first thing the spirit does is to take through this path in the morning. When we talk about who do not walk according to the flesh and according to the spirit, we make it into a great theology, talking about being led by the spirit and doing great things like Elijah and Elisha. It's not talking about that first. The first thing the spirit is, he convicts you of sin and takes you to the altar. and says, confess. Confess. Confess and you're clean. You're free. You're set free. Confess. You are free. The first brick is very important. That's where you begin every day. Even God's own pure, righteous, holy son began every day with that brick. Read Hebrews 5.7. We'll look at three verses and we'll stop. Hebrews 3.7. Or 5.7. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered a prayers and supplication with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death. So what was his cry every morning? In his case, it's a little different from us, but the the thesis is the same. What is that? Save him from what? And death from sin. So what is he actually praying for? Asking for, Lord, let me not sin today. In his case, he is asking, let me not sin today. In our case, we are asking, forgive me from my sin. He began every day with that. Every day begins with him. This is the very son of God, who is God himself. And he begins with that first block. Lord, let me walk without guilt. Let me walk with a clear conscience. Let my mind and my heart be absolutely open and clear before you, because I need to hear from you. That's step two. When your conscience is clear, your heart is clear, and your life is surrendered to God, he hears. Look, at. let's read from Mark chapter 1, 35, and then we'll close. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place and there he prayed. Do you know what he prayed? Hebrews 5, 7. Same prayer. He never changes. Lord, let me not. Okay. And then, verse 36 onwards. Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. In verse 38. But he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also because for this purpose I have come forth. The question is, how did you know? How did you know? Because you heard. Why did you hear? Absolutely clear and surrendered. If his conscience is not, imagine he's a pastor like any one of us and not the son of God who's overcoming every day. His conscience is not clear and he is guilty. He prays. But he does not hear. You know what he says? Simon has come. Okay, uh, Lord, the people all have come. He'll say, Pastor, the people all, he'll say, okay, let us go back. Let's minister today with the same people. Oh, boy. Same people. He's not able to change his direction because his conscience is not clear. Conscience. In his case, every day he heard. And as I close, verse 39, the big picture and the small picture. The small picture he is. And he was preaching in the synagogues throughout all Galilee. And doing what? Casting out demons. Casting out demons. Demons are lying spirits. Deceiving spirits. Binding spirits. Casting them out. You know why? Casting. That's what we Now we don't have to do exactly like that unless we are faced with that. But we are casting out every lying doctrine. Everything that is opposed to truth. And we are not ashamed of it. We are not ashamed of it. But the key is this. You cannot halt a Halt between, falter between two opinions. You have to become one. A lot of things we don't know. Like I said, when we grew up, 
has a young person like Johan Sage and all. We didn't even know what homosexuality was. We didn't even know. Then when we knew and became a believer, we understood what it, it took a stand. Then now in the recent past, we heard about transgenderism. Okay. Now we heard about monogamy, bigamy, polygamous. Now we are hearing new terms called polymorphous marriages. See, once you have, have only one opinion about marriage, it's easy to decide about the rest. You don't have to falter between two. Right? Once you have only one opinion about sex, you don't have to falter between many. It's between one man and one woman, united in wedlock. You understand that concept very clearly. That becomes your truth. Once you understand gender from Genesis chapter 1, then you understand what it is. So there will be many, many things that will come in the days to go. Coming days, they will come up with all kind of funny ideas. But they are ideas that lead people to bondage and to death and to destruction. The thing is that we should have surrendered to the person of Jesus Christ now so that that person is able to reveal his truth as we progress so that we get it. If we are not surrendered to the person today, he's not going to speak to me tomorrow. Why should he speak to me? I'm still halting between two opinions. You know? So the question is not how much you know. How much have you surrendered to what you know is true with Christ is the question. How much has it become your life? Like I said, these decisions are not made when it happens. These decisions are made today. It's very easy. Think about, always come back to that, the young man, no? How easy it is for Daniel to decide about something like what to eat and what not eat, right? You think all the other Hebrew boys were taught differently? They all knew in their head. But in Daniel and the three friends created this and this were one. It was life. So they didn't choose anything different. The others halted between two opinions, flipped over to this side. So if they go to Jerusalem, they will eat kosher. When they come to Babylon, they will eat pig. Issues. We cannot. And Johan, you cannot. You're going to Bible college. One opinion. One opinion. Okay. One opinion. Shall we pray? Father, we just thank you, Lord. We have such joy in our heart to see one of our young men, second young man from our church going to Bible college. Same Bible college, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. You are a good God. You're an awesome God, O oh Master. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. We commit ourselves into their hands this this morning, especially we want to commit Johan into their hands, Lord. I pray the hand of God would be upon him and will guide him, protect him and keep him all the days of his life. And as Johan grows in the Lord, he will be that one man in Christ, not halting between two opinions, one opinion, that is God, his truth, his life. That life of Christ will become his life. And I pray for Anne too, Lord. I pray you'll be with her. You've been with her all these years, Lord. With all her trials and testing, you protected her, kept her. You watched her, Lord, as she brought her only child up. And now, Lord, next month her child has to go. When Yuhan goes to U.S. and Anne stays in India, neither of them are alone. 
because of the God we worship. For you said, you will never be alone. I will be with you till the end. So I pray the strength of the living God will be Johan's portion and the comfort of the same God will be Anne's portion, Lord. She's not losing her son. She's releasing her son into the hands of God who watched over him all these years. So I pray, Father, your hand would be upon both of them, Lord. Both of them. Protect them both, preserve them both, and keep them both. Especially Johan, Lord. He's going into a new world. And I pray he will keep his heart and his mind focused on Christ Jesus. Not waver to the left or to the right. And make those decisions now. And now and forever. He will only serve you. And I pray this prayer for everyone who's tuned in and listening. Everyone, the decision is the same. One God and Him alone our knees bend to. His name alone our lips confess as Lord and Him alone we serve. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We worship you. We glorify you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.